Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Mees, the creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color one swipe at a time. And this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. Before I begin, I wanted to thank all of you for your patience. There's been a lot happening on my end as I prepare to go abroad again for several months of research, and I've also had some schedule changes with guests and had to shift around some of the podcast interview dates, hence there not having been an episode for the past few weeks. But that doesn't mean that I wasn't putting out content. Just as a reminder, the Left Pocket Project content on the history of leftists of color is always there for your convenience via social media. And of course, you can always access episodes of the podcast via SoundCloud, Spreaker, and iTunes. In addition to the content that I was posting for Left DOC on social media, I was also a guest on The Benjamin Dixon Show alongside fellow guest Anoa Changa to discuss the problems of an alliance with the so-called alt-right, aka white supremacists. And I was a guest on Champagne Sharks to discuss race and racism in Brazil. I also had the amazing opportunity to be turned into a cartoon by artist Flynn Nichols for his project on politics and activism called Who's Left. You can find links to that and much more via the Left Pocket Project's social media pages. And finally, you can also show your support and find all the podcast episodes and related updates on patreon.com slash leftpoc. And now for episode 14 of the Left Pocket Project podcast. Today, April 13th, marks one month since the assassination of Marielle Franco, a city councilwoman from Rio de Janeiro representing the Partido Socialismo e Liberdade, or PSOL, the Party of Socialism and Liberty. Franco was a proud and outspoken black queer woman who always stood up for the disenfranchised. Marielle grew up poor in one of Rio's favelas and used her position as an activist, researcher, and socialist politician to speak for people like those in the community of which she was born and raised. For this episode, I'm going to read the letter I co-authored with several scholars who work on Brazil, in which we discuss the life work and assassination of Marielle Franco, as well as the socio-political context and related political implications of her murder. We came together to write this letter shortly after she was murdered, and it was published a week later in The Black Scholar and in Portuguese in A Folha de São Paulo, which is a major newspaper in Brazil. Since then, several major events have occurred that I want to make note of to add additional context. For example, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, the former president of Brazil for the Partido dos Trabalhadores, or PT, the Workers' Party, who had been campaigning to run again for this year's presidential elections, had been touring the country as part of his campaign. During travel through the southeastern state of Paraná, his tour bus was shot at by right-wingers. While thankfully no one was harmed, the act was nevertheless a very clear threat to the former president and a blatant act of violence meant to send a message to the population and to the left in particular. Shortly after this incident, Lula was set to receive a ruling in an appeal for habeas corpus to avoid a 12-year prison sentence handed down in an entirely suspect process led by the right under the guise of a quote-unquote anti-corruption campaign that had resulted in the ouster of the democratically elected president, Dilma Rousseff, 
Brazil's first woman president, former left activist, and also of the Partido dos Trabalhadores, or Workers' Party. The major problem with this, of course, has been that the campaign has not only been applied disproportionately, but also with the support of right-wing political figures, themselves guilty of a considerable amount of corruption. To make matters worse, several military generals have made open threats to act if Lula were granted habeas corpus by the Supreme Court. In the vote, which took place on Thursday, April 5th, judges ruled 5 to 5, 5 for habeas corpus, 5 against, with the tie-breaking sixth vote coming from the head judge in the middle of the night after an entire day of deliberation and debate. Lula began his sentence a few days later. There's a lot more to this story, but in the interest of time, I won't go into that here. I will be speaking on other podcasts about the specifics of his case and what has happened since sentencing, and will update in the show notes with links on those interviews. I will also add other resources that will help break down the case for your reference. Finally, you can learn more about Marielle and Brazilian history as a whole through some of the links that I will provide in the show notes for this episode. But I mention all of this as I consider it part of a much larger campaign to intimidate, silence, and punish those in Brazil who are working and speaking out against the economic, social, political, and physical violence those with power commit against people who are already so regularly disenfranchised. People like Marielle are the literal victims of this process, and as the right continues to build strength in Brazil, though arguably it never really went away as they've maintained considerable control in the government and the press since the period of slavery, and certainly through the dictatorship and into the present, this number grows. The number of victims, that is. Political assassinations, while ever-present in Brazil, have increased in the past few years, proportionate to the right-wing federal and state governance. And there is little hope, in my opinion, that the work of people like Marielle and many others who have been murdered in the interests of police, military, corrupt politicians, and corporations will ever receive fair coverage in the press, much less any real investigations that reveal the identities of their killers. And despite the incredible mobilization of protests shortly after Marielle's death, people were told not to politicize her murder, to not seize upon what was a clear attempt by the state to further silence the oppressed. However, many thankfully opted to remain outspoken, no matter the cost. I think in particular of people like Carlos Alessandri Pereira Maria, who had become active in the investigation into Marielle's death. He had come forward as a witness, in fact, and was providing testimony to a local official who had been looking into the case. And Alexandre was shot dead this past weekend by assassins who, according to witnesses, yelled that they were there to, quote, shut him up. Um, Alexandre's death, while now also under investigation, only makes the question that Marielle herself had asked in her last tweet all the more relevant. In reflecting on police violence and a recent murder of a teenager shot by police while leaving church, Marielle had asked, how many more must die for this war to end? Her question still weighs heavily on people's minds as violence in its many forms against marginalized communities in Brazil and around the world continues unabated. The first step toward ending the war that Marielle spoke of is not simply to acknowledge the problem, but to take stock of our own complicity in furthering it. We must have a better understanding of where our responsibilities lie. We must make better political decisions, become active in our communities, speak out against injustice, and work to support those who suffer under its yoke. If we truly care and want to see equality and justice, we have to first question the decisions that we make that may stand in their way. We have to listen to those who have firsthand knowledge of this suffering, who are in the front lines of the very war that Marielle was speaking of. And above all else, we must express a form of solidarity that goes beyond words and into deep reflection and conscious action. 
And now I will read the letter in full that I co-authored with the following professors who work on Brazil. Kia L. Caldwell of African, African American, and Diaspora Studies at UNC Chapel Hill, Tiana S. Pachel of African American Studies at UC Berkeley, Keisha Khan Y. Perry of Africana Studies at Brown University, Kristen A. Smith of African and African Diaspora Studies and Anthropology at the University of Texas at Austin, and Erica L. Williams of Sociology and Anthropology at Spelman College. On the Imperative of Transnational Solidarity, a U.S. Black Feminist Statement on the Assassination of Marielle Franco. Quote, Those of us who stand outside the circle of the society's definition of acceptable women, those of us who have been forged in the crucibles of difference, those of us who are poor, who are lesbians, who are black, who are older, know that survival is not an academic skill. It is learning how to stand alone, unpopular and sometimes reviled, and how to make common cause with those others identified as outside the structures in order to define and seek a world in which we all can flourish. It is learning how to take our differences and make them strengths, for the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. And this fact is only threatening to those women who still define the master's house as their only source of support. End quote. Audrey Lord. On March 13, 2018, Marielle Franco, a black queer woman, mother, sociologist, socialist, human rights defender, councilwoman from the favela of Mare, tweeted about 23-year-old Mateus Castro, who was shot in Rio. Quote, another killing of a young person possibly committed by the military police. Mateus was leaving church. How many more must die for this war to end? The next day as she was leaving an event, Jovens Negras Movendo as Estructuras, Young Black Women Moving Structures, in the neighborhood of Lapa in Rio de Janeiro, she was executed. Around 9.30 p.m., an unidentified car pulled alongside hers and assassin shot 13 shots into the car, murdering Marielle and her driver Anderson Pedro Gomez, leaving her assistant alive. The 9mm bullets that hit Marielle in the head and neck came from a lot of ammunition the federal police had purchased in Brasilia in 2006. Military police used bullets from this same lot to massacre 17 people in Barueri and Osasco in the Sao Paulo metropolitan area in 2015. As black feminist scholars from the United States whose work focuses on racism, sexism, and anti-black violence in Brazil, we stand in solidarity with black women and black communities in Brazil who are mourning the politically motivated assassination of Marielle Franco. We recognize Marielle's death as part of a larger pattern of state-sponsored killing, terrorization, and silencing of black Brazilian communities. We know that she was killed because she identified and denounced anti-black state violence, particularly that tied to the current federally-backed military occupation of Rio de Janeiro. We also know that she was killed not solely because of her race, gender, sexuality, class, or political beliefs, but because of all of those things combined. Her death is an alarming, brazen, political act of violence. Marielle was a black woman who espoused black feminism, denounced police violence, spoke out boldly and unabashedly about racism and classism, and fiercely defended and invested in her community, a favela. As such, she was a threat to the white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalist, imperialist global social order. But her death is not a sign of the strength of this order. Rather, it is a sign of its ever-expanding weakness. Marielle was born and raised in the Complexo da Mare, 
and she died representing this community. Manet and other communities like it have long served as a laboratory for brutal policies of austerity, violent policing, and military occupation. Marielli's master's thesis in sociology explored this brutality at length, particularly tying it to the militarization of the Brazilian police forces and the occupation of the majority black, majority poor favelas in her city, Rio de Janeiro. As an active member of the Party for Socialism and Liberty, PSOL, Marielli challenged the status quo of negligence and abuse waged by so many political parties on poor people of color in Brazil. It is no accident that just days before her assassination, she was slated to be the rapporteur of the committee to review the recent federal intervention in the military occupation of the favelas of Rio de Janeiro. We are aware of the transnational significance of Marielli's murder and its link to global practices of anti-black genocide. Brazil's black population is the second largest African descendant population in the world, and it has been the target of brutal and violent policing practices for decades. Brazil's crisis of police violence cannot be separated from the context of anti-black, deadly policing in the United States that motivated three black queer women to initiate the Black Lives Matter movement in 2013 and expanded into the movement for black lives. However, it is important to recognize that black Brazilians have also been speaking out and organizing against anti-black police lethality and brutality for generations. Black resistance can be traced back as far as wars between slavery-era quilombos or maroon communities and Portuguese military forces. This is important to remember if we consider that contemporary police apparatuses emerged throughout the Americas first in direct response to the threat of black revolt during slavery. As such, black people have resisted violent, racialized policing since the epoch of slavery throughout the entire region. Thus, we have come full circle. While there are explicit and implicit connections between the U.S. movement for black lives and Brazil, the current movement against anti-black genocide in Brazil is an organic extension of generations of resistance against anti-black state violence in Brazil. Marielle was one of a cohort of black queer women leading the global fight to end anti-black state-sponsored terror. She had even committed herself to learning English through intensive readings of the works of black feminist scholars such as Audre Lorde, Bell Hooks, Angela Davis, among others, as a concrete way to link Brazilian movements to ideas and struggles for freedom and justice taking place around the world. If we recognize the movement for black lives as a global coalition to fight against anti-black state violence, then Marielle Franco is yet another martyr for this global movement. We feel compelled to place Marielle's life, activism, and untimely death within this broader context of Brazil's 500-year history of oppressing African descendant and indigenous peoples and ongoing struggles for inclusive citizenship and democracy within the context of increasing authoritarianism. According to Human Rights Watch, in 2016, the police killed 4,224 people in Brazil. It may come as no surprise that the majority of those killed are Black. If recent experiences of police killings of black people in Brazil tell us anything, they tell us that the police often act with impunity. Let us not forget the case of Claudia Ferreira da Silva, a black woman who was killed by police officers in Rio de Janeiro on March 16, 2014, nearly four years to the day before Marielle was killed. Claudia was shot by police during a gun battle with alleged drug traffickers in her neighborhood. After she was wounded, she was stuffed in the trunk of a police car and her body was dragged for approximately 250 meters before the two police officers stopped the car and stuffed her limp body back inside. She was dead by the time she arrived at the hospital. The officers charged with her death were never convicted, 
and have even been involved in eight more murders in the last four years. Marielle's story also reminds us of the killing of Luana Barbosa dos Reis, a 34-year-old black woman from Sao Paulo who was beaten and killed by police officers in Ribeirão Preto. What precipitated her beating is telling. A masculine-identified lesbian, Luana protested when police officers stopped her and insisted on frisking her as if she were a man. When she refused to comply with being patted down by men, police officers beat her so badly that she suffered internal bleeding and eventually died of a stroke. Marieli's brutal murder highlights disturbing practices of state violence and repression in Brazil as they impact the black and particularly black poor population. This continual oppression has long been overlooked by the international media and in much academic scholarship. As a city council member and activist in Rio de Janeiro, Marieli defended the rights of black women, favela residents, and the LGBTQ community in a highly unequal and segregated city. While Rio de Janeiro was in the international spotlight for just two short years as the host of the 2016 Summer Olympics, the police and military occupation of the city's majority black favelas was largely hidden from mainstream Brazilian public discourse. Policies of genocide and extermination have been enacted against black communities in major cities throughout Brazil since its founding and have only heightened in recent years. In this sense, Marieli's murder is a continuation of a long-standing state practice of killing black people. The fact that Brazil's current political situation is eerily similar to the country's military dictatorship from 1964 to 1985 is cause for international alarm and action. The coup that forced Brazil's president, Dilma Rousseff, from office in August 2016 has hastened the country's downward political spiral and the swift reversal of democratic and inclusive policies that were hard won by black activists and black women activists in particular. The country's rightward shift has exacerbated a political climate in which activists, even those as prominent as Marielle, can be killed. We are particularly concerned about the impact of the current democratic crisis in Brazil on black communities and its relationship to increasing rates of state-sponsored anti-black violence and death. As progressive communities throughout the world mourn the death of Marielle Franco and her driver Anderson Pedro Gomes, we should also realize that her tragic murder is but one of thousands that are committed against black women, men, and children in Brazil every year. It is estimated that a black person is killed in Brazil every 23 minutes. The egregiousness of the targeted assassination of an elected official has mobilized people throughout Brazil and around the world. We must maintain this momentum if we want to ensure the safety and well-being of black women like Marielle and communities like Mare. As tragic and shocking as it was, sadly Marielle's assassination was not an anomaly. In Brazil, there have been at least 194 politicians and activists killed in the past five years. Many of them have been killed for daring to question the hegemonic social structures intertwined with U.S. interests. We cannot mourn her tragic death while ignoring our own government's complicity and involvement in her death. Brazilian police forces responsible for brutality have been trained by the FBI and the New York Police Department. Agricultural oligarchs with ties to U.S. multinational corporations and politicians routinely kill indigenous people on land speculation disputes. And we cannot forget that Marielle spoke out boldly against the coup that ousted Brazil's democratically elected president with support from the U.S. State Department. Given the global dimensions of anti-blackness and the transnational circulation of practices of state violence and militarized policing, we believe profoundly that we must organize on a hemispheric and global level. Marielle will forever be remembered by those she represented and those she inspired, for recognizing their humanity while others only saw them as targets to be marginalized or annihilated. 
On the night of her death, Marielle quoted Audre Lorde saying, quote, I am not free while any woman is unfree, even when her shackles are very different from my own. From the 1981 piece, The Uses of Anger. As black people in the Americas, we must commit ourselves to continuing the work for which Marielle died. We must affirm the need to center black women's lives and experiences in our struggles for liberation, not at the expense of our broader multi-gendered communities, but precisely because, quote, if black women were free, it would mean that everyone else would have to be free since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all the systems of oppression. This is a line from the Combahee River Collective Statement. Collective vision for liberation is necessarily transnational. Our struggles are inherently connected. We are heartened that the world has been moved by Marielle's death. This show of international solidarity is the turning point. But we call on all of us to maintain this watchful eye for the months and years to come. Marielle's assassination was not the first, and unfortunately, it is most likely not the last bellicose act in this global struggle. The fight for Black life requires us to remain vigilant at home and abroad. Justice for Marielle means justice for us all. Marielle, presente. Avanti pretas. A luta é de todos nós. And that was episode 14 of the Left Pocket Project podcast. You can learn more about the Left Pocket Project by visiting Twitter, Facebook, and other forms of social media and searching for Left POC, and that's L-E-F-T-P-O-C. You can also learn more about Left POC and show your financial support by visiting patreon.com slash left POC. Thanks again so much for listening and have a good one.